Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, February 23rd. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. In a sudden move, the wife of Joaquin Chapo Guzman is taken into federal custody, accused of drug trafficking. With more than half a million people now dead in the U.S. from COVID-19, promising new efforts to vaccinate the public as the country looks to turn the tide on the pandemic. And on Capitol Hill, President Biden's pick getting grilled before lawmakers. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. Today, we begin with a surprising arrest. Authorities on Monday taking the wife of convicted drug lord Joaquin El Chapo Guzman into custody on charges tied to drug trafficking. Edwin PT is standing by outside the court where she's due for a virtual hearing. Edwin, what is the latest on the case? Hi, Carolina. That's right. As we speak, the Emma Coronel, wife of drug lord, convicted drug lord Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, is appearing before this federal court where she is officially being accused for conspiracy to distribute narcotics into the U.S. Those drugs include heroin, cocaine, marijuana, and methamphetamines. Prosecutors and FBI investigators are saying that Coronel conspired with others to help her husband in his 2015 prison escape in Mexico. Her team of attorneys, uh, Jeffrey Lishman and Mariel Colon, said that her client is pleading not guilty and decided not to move forward with Bell today, which means that Emma Coronel will remain jail indefinitely. Carolina, U.S. authorities took Coronel into custody at Virginia Dallas International Airport yesterday, and she now faces charges tied to alleged involvement in international drug trafficking. The wife of El Chapo said repeatedly that she was never aware of her husband's dealings, but authorities never stopped investigating her because of private conversations that led them to believe that she was aware of important movements within the Sinaloa cartel. According to the 12-page indictment, FBI agents interview many protected witnesses that explain how Coronel was part of important decision-making in the Sinaloa cartel, including paying $100,000 for a property nearby the Altiplano prison in Mexico, where her husband escaped in 2015. According to the investigator, she was planning to help El Chapo escape one more time in 2016, but the plan was frustrated when her husband was extradited to the U.S. in 2017. And let's remember that El Chapo was sentenced to live in prison in 2019. It is important to know that it is unclear what the future holds for Emma Coronel Carolina, but U.S. authorities are saying that they have enough evidence to prove that she was helping her husband run that criminal empire. Live in Washington, D.C., Carolina, back to you. Thank you for that report. Live, Edwin Pitti. President Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill will go before the uh, a full House for a vote. That's after the House Budget Committee voted to advance the legislation Monday. The package includes $1,400 checks to Americans, making less than $75,000 a year, an increase in the child tax credits, aid to small businesses, and more money for vaccine distribution. 
And today is a busy day in Washington, D.C. Today, senators are questioning many of the president's nominees to lead various agencies. Some of those nominees facing criticism and even opposition. Andrea Linares has the latest. President Biden's Interior Secretary nominee Deb Haaland is expected to face a contentious confirmation today in front of the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee. The Democratic Congresswoman from New Mexico is a historic pick and would be the first Native American cabinet secretary if confirmed by the Senate. However, many anticipate the hearing to get tense, as some Republicans have already spoken out against what they call her extreme and radical views on energy and environmental issues. Also expected to face a tough confirmation hearing is California Attorney General Javier Becerra, who in the past has defended the Affordable Care Act and abortion access. Many Republicans argue he is overly liberal and lacks public health experience. Meanwhile, it's an uphill battle for Neera Tandon to lead the Office of Management and Budget, as her nomination is on the brink of collapse. As it relates to Neera Tandon, let me just say that the president nominated her because he believes she'd be a stellar OMB director. She's tested. Four senators announced within four days they won't vote to confirm Tandon. Tandon is under fire for past comments directed at lawmakers on both sides of the aisle, which she was grilled about during her confirmation hearing. And the White House press secretary also put on the spot by a CNN reporter. I have to tell you, I'm very disturbed about your personal comments about people. The comments were personal. I mean, you call Senator Sanders everything but an ignorant slut. So President Biden did not have any concerns about her past statements? I think I'll leave it at what I've said so far. For now, the White House is searching for votes for Tandon. This, as Attorney General nominee Merrick Garland answered questions at day one of his confirmation hearing. Judge Garland telling the Senate Judiciary Committee that investigating the Capitol riot would be his first priority. Um, I intend to give the career uh, prosecutors who are working on this matter 24-7, uh, all of the resources they could possibly require uh, to do this. Garland took tough questions from Republican senators on a wide range of controversial topics, like his support of the death penalty for Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh, something he says he doesn't regret. He also pushed back on the idea of defunding the police. President Biden has said he does not support uh, uh, defunding the police, and neither do I. While Garland is facing his second day of questioning today, he is expected to be confirmed in the Democratic-led Senate with bipartisan support. Also happening today on Capitol Hill, lawmakers began public hearings on the January 6th attack on the Capitol building. They want to know what happened and how to impede something like this from happening again. Two different committees will examine the security failures that led to the breach. Four witnesses are testifying today and at least one additional hearing has been set up for Thursday. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News.
Thank you, Andrea, for that report. Meanwhile, federal prosecutors have now charged at least 250 people in connection with the Capitol riots. The latest person accused in the riot is Ryan Ashlock of Kansas. He faces a number of charges, including obstruction of Congress. Investigators also identified him as an individual seen on video pushing against a police barricade outside the Capitol and being pepper sprayed by police. And the pandemic has now officially claimed the life of more Americans than the Second World War. The country hit in that devastating number on Monday. This as vaccination efforts resumed this week in many parts of the country. Lorraine Casares has the latest. COVID-19 claiming the life of more than 500,000 people in the U.S. The pandemic death toll now surpassing the total number of Americans who perished in World War II. The National Cathedral on Monday ringing its bells 500 times. The day will come when the memory of the loved one you lost will bring a smile to your lips before a tear to your eye. And for me, the way through Sorrow and grief is the fine purpose. Despite the devastating death toll, the average number of deaths has gone down 38% in the last five days. This hospital unit in Missouri cheering as they celebrate a nearly empty COVID-19 unit. But another surge is still possible. The South African variant now confirmed in 12 states. We continue to see trends head in the right direction, but cases hospital admissions and deaths remain at very high levels. Officials coming up with strategies to prevent a surge. The FDA updating its guidance on dealing with them. The agency planning to adapt COVID-19 vaccines, tests and therapeutics. We ourselves in this country are already facing variants that are having impact, such as the UK variant. We have this, the uh, South African variant in our nation, and we're even having the evolution of variants within our own country. Meanwhile, the administration racing to catch up with vaccination delays caused by winter storms. We now anticipate that all backlog doses will be delivered by midweek. This massive federal vaccination site in Houston now open and ready to administer vaccines. The plan is to see 6,000 people a day, seven days a week. In California, the governor now making sure teachers and school staff get their doses. 10% set aside of all the first doses the state of California receives will be going directly prioritized to that cohort to our educators and childcare workers, which are also essential to getting our schools reopened as well. And the CDC is expected to update their guidance for people that are fully vaccinated, meaning people that have received their two doses of Pfizer or Moderna vaccines. So far, what they've said is that people that are fully vaccinated do not need to quarantine if they've been exposed to the virus. On another note, Dr. Anthony Fauci is also saying that Johnson & Johnson will be ready to deliver 20 million doses of their single-dose vaccine by the end of March, and the FDA could grant them emergency use authorization as soon as this weekend. Carolina, back to you. Thank you, Lorraine, for the live report. Meanwhile, researchers in the UK say one dose of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine can reduce the risk of contracting the disease. 
The study looked at healthcare workers under the age of 65. They found that one dose of the vaccine reduced the risk of contracting the virus by 72%. Two doses lessened the risk even more by 85%. Experts add that the vaccine also protects against the variants of the coronavirus the UK first identified back in December. And for more on the pandemic, we are joined by Dr. Dara Cass. She's an ER doctor at New York's Columbia University Medical Center and also a Yahoo News medical contributor. Thank you so much for your time, doctor. Thank you for having me. Now, doctor, the U.S. is now reporting half a million people dead due to COVID-19. Nobody imagined that number a year ago. What is your reaction to hear those numbers? Well, I'm hopeful that this is the last major milestone we hit in this pandemic of deaths. We are seeing a predictable downslope in hospitalizations and in deaths from this virus as we get the pandemic under control, what I hope is for the last time. We knew this months ago that we were going to hit this milestone, unfortunately, because of the trajectory of infections and the lack of mask wearing and really common public health practices across the country. So although I am very sad to see such a large milestone, I'm hopeful this will not, this will be the last time we have such a, a large number uh, to mourn as a group. Now, doctor, you have been on the front lines of the pandemic since the beginning. How different is it now? So, you know, the palpable difference is actually that the federal administration is on our side for what feels like the first time. For most of the last year, we've been dealing with a reality on the ground that was not mirrored by our federal administration and didn't feel like they were really in this fight with us against the virus. Now we see that the federal government has both messaging and policies coming down that gets us not just the PPE and the testing that we need, but now the vaccination centers and the support for the vaccine that we need to get our citizens vaccinated. So I think that what we feel now is hopeful that we're all aligned in progress and that we're finally going to get ourselves out on the other side of this uh, with as few unnecessary deaths as possible. And as we just reported, a new study in the UK found that one dose of the Pfizer vaccine can reduce the risk of infection by 72 percent. How significant is that, doctor? So this information is critically important to the, the idea that being vaccinated can not just protect you from getting sick or dying of this virus, but also from spreading this virus to anybody else. We didn't have this information after the trials because we really needed to know the most important information, which was, does this vaccine prevent you from getting sick or dying? But this new information is excellent, reminding us that getting vaccinated not just protects you, who is vaccinated from getting sick or dying, but also from spreading it to your friends and family who may not be ready to get vaccinated yet, or it may not be their turn. And doctor, as vaccination efforts continue, it seems like there's hope at the end of the tunnel. Can you give us your guesstimate on when our life could return back to normal? So I'm saying that this summer is going to feel pretty good. I think that people will be mostly outside and they will be able to gather with their families more than even last summer because a lot of our elderly citizens will be vaccinated and a lot of our frontline workers, our teachers, and maybe some of our regular old middle-aged Americans will be vaccinated. And I think towards the fall and even into the winter, we'll get back to a very, very new normal, which means our kids will be in school, we'll be able to go to the movies and go to restaurants and really kind of get back to a sense of the virus not being the first thing we think about every morning when we wake up. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Dara Cass, Yahoo News medical contributor and ER doctor in New York City. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carolina. 
more of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. You news covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You news on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. And turning to science news, the landing of NASA's Perseverance rover on Mars fascinated the entire world last week. The images were as breathtaking as the scope of the mission itself. And yesterday, NASA released more footage of the final minutes of the amazing landing. It starts with incredible deployments of the largest parachute ever to be sent to another planet. The new footage also includes the first audio recordings of sounds from the red planet. You can hear some breeze and mechanical sounds over of the rover's operation. And joining me now to talk about the mission is one of the engineers Clara Ofero of NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Thank you so much for your time, Clara. No, hi, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Likewise, Clara, now you have worked so hard on this mission. What was your reaction seeing the first images of the landing? Ah, just so much joy and relief at the same time. You know, I was part of the team that worked uh, on the supersonic parachute. Uh, so seeing it work, so perfectly, it was so fulfilling, but at the same time, you also big, you know, breathe a huge sigh of relief, knowing that you know everything we worked so hard uh, to do over the years worked so well. So it was just amazing. Now you were part of the team that engineered the parachute that safely landed the Mars, uh, the rover on Mars. Talk to us about this parachute. What were the challenges with landing such a heavy machine on the planet? Yeah, it's a, it's a really challenging and critical part of the mission uh, because, you know, we launched uh, the Perseverance rover back in July. It then traveled to Mars for, you know, almost seven months. And when it arrives at, at Mars, it's traveling very, very fast. And we have seven minutes to slow it down to a speed where it can land gently on the ground. So, you know, so that we can uh, be very gentle to all of the instruments. Um, and the, the rover has to do all of this autonomously because it takes 14 minutes for signals to travel from Earth to Mars and back and forth. So we can't be doing this, you know, and uh, be a joystick as if we were playing, you know, a video game. So it's very challenging, and it's particularly challenging because the atmosphere on Mars is very, very thin. It's a lot thinner than here on Earth. So what that means for us is that we need to deploy a very large parachute. It's uh, seven feet in diameter, and we need to deploy it when we're traveling faster than the speed of sound. So we deploy this parachute when we're traveling almost two times the speed of sound. And it deploys in around 0.6 seconds. So it's a very dynamic, very almost violent uh, process. So it's, it's very, very challenging. And now that this rover has landed, what is your role now? So we are getting ready for uh, the next mission. So one of the really, really exciting things about this rover is that it's going to drill into the surface of Mars, and it's going to collect samples of the Martian surface. 
Then it's going to put them into these tubes that we're going to hermetically seal so that we can send a follow-on mission to gather those tubes, put them on a small rocket, and then, you know, we can start the process of bringing them back here to Earth. So we are already starting to work uh, on the next uh, mission, which is called the Sample Return Lander, uh, so that we can start bringing them back. There are very few women in NASA. How was your journey to get there? So uh, and, uh, in, uh, at JPL, uh, which is the NASA center where I work, uh, around somewhere between a third and a quarter of the technical personnel uh, are women. That's about representative of women in engineering here in the U.S. Um, so, you know, and, and the agency um, has really been uh, promoting, you know, uh, outreach to women and, and, and folks from uh, traditionally underrepresented uh, groups so that we can have increased, you know, increasing diversity and increasing diverse, uh, representation here on the agency. That's why it's so exciting to see just how many people were inspired by the Perseverance Landing. That's why it's so important. You know, I, I thank you guys for highlighting us here uh, on the show. Uh, I really hope that this inspires someone uh, one day and we can continue to have an increasingly diverse um, workforce uh, here at NASA. Uh, personally, it's my experience has been fantastic. Uh, you know, I've had great colleagues, great mentors. Um, so, you know, I just want to give more folks an opportunity to have an experience like the one I've had so far. It is great to see those images, but it is also great to see more young women like you making history along the way. And hopefully we see a lot more Claras on the way. Thank you so much for your time, Clara O'Farrell, engineer at NASA, for your time. Thank you very much. Have a great day, folks. You too. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.